I'm excited. Christmas is here. It's my favorite holiday. I know that y'all hear me say that every year, uh, but it's the truth. I love it. Uh, in the Connors household, Christmas uh, begins on November 1st. Uh, because that's when we put up our trees, plural, and uh, we begin to decorate and get all kinds of crazy stuff happening going on and music in our home, Christmas music. And so anybody with me on celebrating Christmas early, raise your hand. Or is there most of you, the small hearted people who uh, wait till after Thanksgiving uh, to do that? There's a movie about you. It's called The Grinch. All right. And uh, so you can do that if you want. We love Jesus and we're glad he came. All right. Uh, but no, we're excited about the holiday season. And today we're starting the series called Discover hope. And um, the, the reason we're, we're really focusing on this, this uh, specific title is that we want to discover the hope uh, and the peace and the joy and love that is ours in Christ because he came. And uh, that's what we're celebrating, the advent, the arrival of Jesus. And here's what's so unique about uh, those of us in the room right now and those on, watching online is that we live in a time in history where we have the opportunity uh, to look back at the first coming of Christ. So when you, when you hear the word Advent, you say, what does Advent mean? Why do we use that phrase? Well, Advent literally uh, means the arrival or the coming. So God promised that he would send a Messiah, a Redeemer, and for generation after generation, decade after decade, they're waiting, they're longing, they're hoping, they're dreaming about the day when the Messiah would come, and then Christmas occurs, the Advent, the arrival of the Messiah, and here's what that means for you and I. We get to the privilege of looking back historically and celebrating the first arrival of Jesus. We get to look back and see God's promises being fulfilled and the fact that Jesus actually came like God said he would come. But we also get to look forward to Christ's return. And so while we celebrate the advent that has occurred at Christmas, we also want to spend this season cultivating a new and fresh longing for the second advent when Jesus comes again. And so this is what makes Christmas, I think, unique for those of us living in the age in which we're living in. We can look back in celebration and we look forward in anticipation, both of them anchoring on the coming and the arrival of Jesus. And so here's what we're going to do. I want you to see in this series the four words of Christmas, the hope, the peace, the joy, and the love that is ours because Jesus came. But I also want us to see the hope, the peace, the joy, and the love, the fullness of that's going to be ours when he returns. And so if you would, let's grab our Bibles and let's go to Romans chapter uh, 15. Romans chapter 15 is where we're going to be. Uh, we're going to start reading in verse uh, 8. And while you're turning there, let me go ahead and just set up the context. Paul, in the book of Romans, which is an incredibly important book, I believe every re uh, believer should be reading uh, uh, frequently the book of Romans, because Paul explains for us what the gospel is and how it applies to our lives. So the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul gives great detail uh, about who Jesus is, what he's done, what it means for us. And uh, then in, in chapters 12 uh, to the end, he shows us the implications of the gospel. It'll begins to apply it to our lives so that we know how to live in light of what Jesus has done. When you get to chapter 15, specifically in the final verses, 8 through 13, Paul is coming to the end of his applications. He's coming to the end of the letter, in essence. And even though there is a chapter 16, the chapter 16 is a little bit more of your, your, your he's just ending, landing the plane, greeting a few people, and having some final words. But the very end of his application of the gospel comes to its conclusion in verses 8 through 13. And in fact, verse 13 is a prayer that summarizes that in light of all of this, this is what Paul wants for the church. 
And so if you got your Bible and you're there, say, I'm there. Let's start reading in verse eight. He says, for I tell you, this is Paul's conclusion, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, uh, 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 praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in what? What's the word? Oh man, you can't say hope like that. You may abound in what? Hope. And so Paul is, is talking to us about the hope that is ours in Christ. And that's what we're gonna focus on today. We wanna discover the hope that is ours because Jesus came and is coming again. And now we, we get hope. We understand uh, the essence of hope. Hope is this, this longing, this waiting, this anticipation for what is to come. It's like there's this sense of there's something out there that's, that's coming and, and I, I feel encouraged by thinking about it. I feel excited when I, when I put my mind on it. And so there's something out there that I don't have now, but there, there's this hope that I will have it one, one day or, or soon. And this is kind of the essence of Christmas. So think about this like this. How many of you have ever made a Christmas wish list in your life at all? Raise your hand. Okay, as a kid, you've done that. Maybe as an adult, you still do that. Pretty weird, but you can do that if you want. A Christmas wish list. So you're making a list and you're gonna, you're gonna uh, put the things on there that uh, you know you, you really want. People have asked, what do you want for Christmas? I'll make you a list. And so listen, let's be honest. When you give that Christmas wish list, the expectation is, is that you're gonna get what's on the list, or at least the ones that are important. And so the ones that are important, we put a star, asterisk, we wanna make sure we highlight that one, that's the ones I really want. If you don't give me anything else, I want you to get this. And oftentimes, especially as kids, you're dreaming about Christmas. And so you make your list and you wanna circle and highlight, underline the ones that you really want. And you just really believe that Santa's gonna bring this. It's gonna be under the tree on Christmas day. So the moment you turn in that list to the day of Christmas, there is a growing anticipation. There is a longing in your heart as you wait to open the gifts to see if what you're hoping for is there. Are you with me? And all of us have had those Christmases where we're unwrapping the last gift and to our disappointment, it ain't there. Anybody had those Christmases? And you know what I'm talking about. You got to put your game face on. You got to be, your mom and dad says, you're going to be thankful no matter what you get. And you're like, well, I, I can tell you I'm thankful, but I don't I'm feel thankful if I don't get the things that I really want. And I've had to do that as a kid, put the game face on and you have to go, oh, it's exactly what I wanted inside. You're going, I'm, I don't even want this at all. I'm going to give it to somebody else, right? We all had those moments. And what this does for us, it reminds us that oftentimes, listen, there's great disappointment in hope. Because sometimes the things that we hope for doesn't come to fruition. And sometimes we get the thing we were asking for. You know, I'm talking about the kids that ask for the gift and they think this is the gift to end all gifts. If I just get this gift, I'll never ask for anything else. Mom, dad, if I get this, I'll never, I won't even make a Christmas wish list ever again in my life. And then they unwrap the gift and they get the deal. And like by noon, they're asking for something else. Anybody have those kids? Anybody are those kids? You know what I'm talking about? So I was thinking about this, uh, this Christmas gift longing. How many of you are familiar with the movie A Christmas Story? Anybody familiar with that movie? 
it's, it's one of my favorites. And I realized this week, this is confession. I realized that I'm a failure as a father uh, because my kids have really never been introduced to the movie. Like we've never sat down and watched the movie. And, uh, and so uh, my oldest was uh, gone to a friend's house. And, and so my youngest two were at the house and we were flipping through. And of course it's on like nonstop for like two months uh, during this time of the year uh, on repeat. And so we, we saw it, we turned it on. And about midway through my son Noah's like, this is the dumbest movie ever. And I just looked at him with such disappointment. And uh, I just said, I failed you and I don't even know who you are uh, anymore. And uh, we, we disciplined him severely because in our house, there's a certain movies you just don't mess with. You just don't mess with. Like, like how many of you have Christmas movies that are just staples for you? All right, let me give you my top five. These are not in order. Are you ready? Uh, Christmas Vacation. All right, A Christmas Story. That's my one I was talking about. Um, uh, the, 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 the third one is It's a Wonderful Life. I don't know if you any It's a Wonderful Life uh, fans in here. And then, then number four is Elf. Any Elf fans in the, in the room? And then the, the fifth is Die Hard. Uh, that's the fifth one. Um, so, hey, listen, you got your list. I got mine. Don't shame me here. But this, the essence of it, the, the, the Christmas story is what? It's this little boy wants a what? What does he want? A Red Ryder BB gun. And the whole movie is about him trying to write the right letter and pick the right time to make the request. And maybe I'll go to Santa and he's going to get it. And, and every time he's, he's dreaming, he's thinking, he's imagining, the whole movie is, is this, this, this kid, you know, just kind of imagine what's it going to be like to hold the gun for the first time in my hands. And he's trying to convince everybody. But what does everybody keep telling him? You will what? You'll shoot your eye out, right? And then Christmas morning arrives and there he is unwrapping all the gifts and all of us are watching it and there's no Red Rider BB, Red Rider BB gun, but there is a bunny outfit, bunny costume. Anybody kind of get that kind of gift? Not that exact one, but you know, it's the one that you're like, oh, this is ridiculous. Um, and then at the very end, what happens? Oh, there's one more gift. Go check behind the tree and the hope is fulfilled. So he gets the gun and what happens five minutes later? He actually shoots his eye out or comes close to it, Right. But you know, this movie is really, I think, kind of paints a picture of how many of us live our life. There, there's this great anticipation, there's this great angst of this thing that is to come, this, it's misplaced hope. It's going, man, if I can just get this, attain this, marry that person, get that job, get in the right college, have this career, live in this neighborhood, be accepted by this group. If I can just, and in our, our minds, we imagine what it's gonna be like to get it and, and, and all the things that go with obtaining that thing. And many of us, we posture our life and position our life with this kind of false sense of hope on these things that oftentimes in our life leaves great disappointment because they don't come through like we thought they would. You don't meet them. You don't get in that college. You never get the promotion. You lost your job. This group didn't accept you. They rejected you. And all of a sudden we have no hope. And then so we find another object to place our hope in. Others of us, we actually get everything that we're longing for and find in the end that it doesn't do for us what we thought it would do. And this is the cycle that so many of us live our life in and what I want us to see th this morning as we dive into this is that Paul wants us to have a hope that is greater than that. Paul is talking about here in this passage, a true and lasting hope, a hope that can sustain us, a hope that's not just wishful thinking, but a hope that's actually reality and that is ours in Christ, that everything that we're hoping for that's found in him will come to be as he says it would. 
So I'm gonna give you a statement to write down as we walk through this text. I wanna give you, this is a, uh, give you a phrase here, a statement here, and then I'm gonna unpack this line by line. So if you're a note taker, you may wanna write this down. If you don't get it all, uh, you'll be able to get the phrases as we unpack it. But here is the summary of today's message. I want you to see this, that true and lasting hope, that's what we're gonna find here. True and lasting hope flows from the nature of God, is rooted in the promises of God. It produces the peace and the joy of God is activated by faith in God and increases through the work of the Spirit of God. Let me say that again. True and lasting hope flows from the nature of God. It is rooted in the promises of God. It produces the joy and the peace of God. It is activated by faith in God. And ultimately, listen to this, it increases through the Spirit of God. So let's unpack this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the first part of this phrase. True and lasting hope flows from the nature of God. You say, what do you mean? Look what he says in verse 13. Paul says this. This is a prayer he's praying. He's wanting this for the church. He says, may the God of all hope or the God of hope fill you. May the God of hope fill you. So Paul, in essence, is making a declaration about the essence and the nature of God. He's saying that, listen, God does not just inspire hope or grant hope or make hope available, but rather that God is, by his very nature, the source of hope, that he is the origin of hope. He is the author of hope, that there is no hope outside of God because God himself is the God of hope. Now, here's the truth about hope that we've got to understand is that, listen, your hope, and by the way, everyone in this room, it may not be a Red Rider BB gun, but all of us in this, in this room are, are operating out of kind of a wish list mentality. That all of us have things in this life that we're going, okay, if I can just obtain this, get here, I, there's something that we're hoping in and hoping for. And here's the truth about hope. Your hope is only as good as the object that it's placed in. Your hope is only as good as the object that it's placed in. And here, here, here's why that's so important for us, is that the, the reason that, that true and lasting hope flows from the nature of God is simply this, is that because God is sovereign, God is all-powerful, God has all dominion. He is the God of hope because God determines the end from the beginning. He is the God of hope because every plan that he has will unfold as he has planned it. Every promise that he has made will come to fruition just like he promised it. And that makes him the God of all hope. Every other place that you place your hope is a false hope and it's gonna overpromise. it's gonna underdeliver. But God is the God of hope because God is the only being and only person that controls everything. Therefore, what he determines is, is always the way he determines it. Are you with me? And I think this is critical that we understand. And this means for you and I, anything that we're placing our hope in outside of God will ultimately fail us. It's a false hope. It overpromises and underdelivers. So it can be position or promotion or possessions or a person, but, but ultimately it's gonna lead you to perpetual disappointment. It'll never come through like you had hoped for. There's another movie. I don't know why I'm on the movie kicks this morning, but uh, there's a movie called Lonesome Dove. Anybody watch Lonesome Dove? It's an old uh, Western. And, uh, but I, you know, there's this, this dialogue between uh, two individuals, a guy named Gus, and he's talking to a girl named Lori. And Lori is about to you know, leave with a guy named Jake. And Jake is kind of this uh, scoundrel. And Gus tells Lori, he warns her, he says, man, he says, Jake is too leaky of a vessel to put much hope in. And here's what I would say to you. 
that the things of this world and the people of this world, listen, they're way too leaky of a vessel to place much hope in them. See, what you and I need is a vessel that doesn't leak. And Paul says, may the God of hope, he is the only vessel that doesn't leak. Which leads me to number two, true and lasting hope flows from the nature of God, listen to this, and is rooted in the promises of God. It's rooted in the promise of God. And I think it's important that we understand the promises over possibilities. You see, most of our lives, we are looking to things and hoping for things that are only rooted or built upon possibilities. There's no guarantee, no assurance. They're merely wishful thinking or hoping for something else or something, making, uh, something that may or may not come to fruition. And listen, I know I've used this over and over again in talking about hope, but how many cowboy fans do we have in the room? Look, I'm not hating on you. I'm not hating on cowboy fans. And I get emails every time I use the cowboys and I don't know why I keep doing it. It's just like one of those things. Uh, but like, this was the year, right? Preseason, this is the year. Like this is going, going to be the year. Lombardi trophy is ours. We're putting the pieces of the puzzle together and it's going to happen. And two games later, Next season, it's going to happen, right? And we're already talking. We can make this move and this move and this move. We can get rid of this guy and, and all of these things. Now we put our hope. So what, what are we doing in that? That's, 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 that's just about possibilities. It's not about promises. The problem is many of us in this room, we, we live our life pursuing, placing our hope in things that are merely possibilities, no guarantee, no assurance, they may or may not happen. And, and by the way, uh, at the end of the day, they, even if they do happen, typically what they provide is very short-lived. But that's not what God provides. You see, the hope that we find in God, the God of hope, is not built upon possibilities. It's built upon promises. It's built upon the truth that God doesn't lie. So what he says is ours in Christ is ours in Christ. That it's built upon the promises that Jesus has done for us, what he said he's gonna do. And everything that is undone now will be done in his time. And we can rest in that, not on a possibility, hoping, wishing, thinking, dreaming with no guarantee, but we can take it to the bank because God always keeps his promises. And here's what I mean. I want you to see what Paul does here. Paul wants to talk about the God of hope and he does this in verse eight by talking about the God of promises that becomes the, the, the rooting and the, and the foundation of our hope. Look what he says in verse number eight. He says, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. Now, when he says uh, that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, this word circumcised is a, is a reference to the covenant people of God, the Jewish people. So this was the marking of covenant community. And he says, God, Christ became, this is talking about the incarnation. This is what we're celebrating. Christ came. He came to live among us. He put on flesh, God in the flesh here. So he's saying that Jesus became a man to come a servant to the covenant community. Now notice what he says. Not only uh, does he say he came to do this, but he tells us why. He says to show, listen to this, God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarch. So why did Jesus come? Jesus came, put on flesh to, to dwell among us, to become a servant to the circumcised, to the covenant community, so that the promises made by God to the patriarchs, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob might be fulfilled to verify the fact that God is trustworthy and is truthful. Now, who else is included in this? Look what he says here. 
He says, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, listen to this, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Now notice what he's saying here. When he says now, he says, and so that the Gentiles might also glorify God because of his mercy. The Gentiles here are everyone outside the covenant community. It's everyone who's not a Jew. So most of us in this room, I would think that we're just Gentiles in here. We were not a part of the covenant community, but here's what Paul is reminding us, that God's promises, the covenant promise he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was not just a promise made to the covenant community, to the circumcised, but that promise was also for the Gentiles. So Christ came, listen, as a way in which he was going to fulfill the promises that he was gonna be the God, not just of a select group of people, but even those who did not belong to him, he would make us his. Now, that should make somebody excited in here. We were not the people, and now we are the people. So there's this promise, God makes the circumcised. That promise includes the Gentiles, and he says, listen, and Jesus came to live among us, to be a servant to the circumcised, so that the promise he made to them and to the Gentiles might be fulfilled in Jesus. And here's what Paul goes on to do. Now he's going to take the scriptures and he's going to say, I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. And he quotes three or four rather Old Testament passages that point to the hope that ours as Gentiles, that is ours as Gentiles because Christ came. Look what he says. Psalm, uh, he quotes Psalm 18, verse 49. He says, as it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Then he quotes Deuteronomy 32, 43. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, uh, with his people. And then he quotes a portion of Psalm 117.1. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles and all the peoples extol him. And then he's going to quote Isaiah 11, which is a verse that oftentimes we find on Christmas cards this time of year because it's messianic. It's talking about the coming of Christ. Look what he says. He says, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Now, what is the root of Jesse? Jesse is the father of David. David is the line that Jesus came, family line that Jesus came through. So when he says the root of Jesse is a referring, he's referring to Jesus who would come. So Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even who arises to, the, uh, to rule the Gentiles in him, will the Gentiles what? Hope. And what is Paul's point? Is that God has kept his promises both to the Jews and the Gentiles, which means there's not a single person in this room that is outside the scope of what God promised he would do in Christ. And guess what? Jesus came. And what, how, what does that do for us? That helps us look at the manger and not just see a story. What we see in the manger is the fulfillment of a promise that there's hope for us. God made promises throughout the Old Testament. And I love what Douglas Moo, great theologian and writer says. He says, listen, he says, what Paul does here when he quotes those verses of the Old Testament, he uses all three sections of the Hebrew Bible. So in, in the, the, the Old Testament has three major divisions. You have the, the law, you have the writings, and then you have the prophets. And what Douglas Moo says is that Paul uses a, a promise out of every section. And this would have been a way for Paul to say, the entire Old Testament is full of promises and Jesus has fulfilled them. 
And so if you look back at Genesis chapter three, Genesis chapter three, you see the fall, Adam and Eve sinned and there's destruction and there's consequences. But in the middle of that, there's a promise. What's the promise? Hey, the seed of the woman's going to come. And when, when, when that seed comes, a reference to Jesus, he's going to crush the head of the serpent and he's going to restore things. Time goes on. He calls a man by the name of Abraham and says, Hey, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And through you, all the nations, including the Gentiles are going to be able to rejoice and to be my people. Fast forward, this promise is, is moved into Isaac, eventually to Jacob. Jacob's children are preserved. They're, they're slaves in Egypt. Uh, he rises up a man by the name of Moses, delivers God's people from Egypt, takes them to the promised land, establishes a kingdom there, and raises up a man by the name of David who establishes a throne who is kind of a shadow or a foreshadowing of a greater king who's gonna come. And then God makes a promise once again that from the root of Jesse, the descendant of David, will establish this throne, and this throne will have no ending and all nations, all people, all tribes, all tongues will gather together and be right, made righteous in him and rule and reign with him forever. What does Christmas tell us? Promise made, promise kept. We don't live by possibilities, church. We live by promises. But what God says he will do, he does. And so here's what that does for us as a church. Here's what that does for us as believers. So if we look back and we can go, God was trustworthy. He made all of these prophecies, all of these promises, all of these things of what Christ would do. Christ is ushered in. We are living in the fulfillment of those promises. And yet there are other parts of those promises that have yet to be fulfilled. And so here's what we do. We rest our hope on those things that are yet to be done, believing that they will be done. Why? Because God did the others. We can trust him that he's going to do the rest. Our hope is not built on possibilities. It is built and rooted in promises. This is key for us, which leads me to statement number three. True and lasting hope produces the joy and the peace of God. True and lasting hope produces, so it creates something in us. It, it produces the joy and the peace of God. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Now notice the byproduct of hope. It's joy and peace. Joy and peace happens when we rest in the promises of God. And Paul is praying, let's listen to this. Paul is praying, not that we would just have joy and not that we would just have peace. He's praying that we would be filled with it, overflowing, that there would be an abundance of joy and abundance of peace. Now, this is what he's saying. This is the byproduct. When we begin to live and rest our life in the God of hope, rooted in his promises, it produces in us joy and peace and not just a little of it, we're filled with it. Now, let's make sure we understand something because when we use the word joy and peace, I think sometimes we start thinking of stereotypes and personalities. You know what I'm talking about? It's like those people that are jovial and they're all the time just, um, just kind of, you know, they get on your nerves. They just kind of chipper all the time. Like they've never had a bad day. Anybody know those people? They're irritating. Let's just be honest. You're like, you don't live in my world. Now, I'm kidding. If you like that, man, we thank God for you because <laughs> most of us who don't live like that, we need you in our life. But that's not what Paul is talking about. He's not just merely talking about bliss or a sense of emotional excitement. Here's what one pastor said. I love what he said. He says this. He says, when Paul uses the word joy, which by the way, he uses it more than anybody else in the New Testament because Paul recognized that the, one of the greatest indicators of a life in Jesus is a life of joy. 
But this, this pastor said this, when Paul uses this word, he's talking about, listen to this, a soul that is satisfied, a satisfaction of soul. So it's not just a feeling or emotion or, or I mean, all is well, and I just got to put a smile on my face. No, no, no. He's talking about in the gut, in the core of who you are, there is this sense of satisfaction. Where does this come from? When you live a life that is rooted in the promises of God, you have a, hate, a hope that flows from his nature. Here's what's going to do. It's going to give you an anchor in your heart that while all things in my life might not be well, I'm not so tethered to the circumstances. I'm tethered to the promises. My joy is not circumstantial. My joy is rooted in something that doesn't have a shelf life. So I can get beyond the circumstances and on the situation and I can see what's behind it and therefore that brings me great hope. And that hope gives me a joy even when all is not well. Satisfied. It's, it's, it's this, it's that because we have Christ and all his promises come with him, that even, even when we don't have anything or anyone else, we have Jesus and he is more than enough. And then he says peace. Peace is not a, a feeling of tranquility or calmness. Rather, just like the other, it's a settledness of soul. So you have, you have joy is a, a satisfaction of soul, then peace is a settledness of soy, of soul. This is what happens when our heart is fixed on the promises of God. Like there can, be, there can be chaos all around us. I mean, life could be in turmoil. But when we're anchored and our heart is fixed on the promises of God, we understand we're not bound to the circumstances. There is this settledness of soul. There's this sense of not just contentment, but man, a calmness that comes into the core of who we are. Let me illustrate it or explain it like this. I'm going to use a quote. Leon Morris says this. And I think this is beautiful. Talking about this passage, Leon Moore says, joy relates to the light, joy relates to the delight of anticipation and seeing one's hopes fulfilled. And peace results from the assurance that God will fulfill those hopes. Now look at that for a second. He says that joy relates to the delight of anticipation and seeing one's hope fulfilled. Now here's what that means. So how can I have joy when the bottom falls out? How can I have joy when life is chaotic and, and I don't feel it and I get the doctor's uh, results back and it, it doesn't look hopeful? What do I do when she does walk out or he does leave or I didn't get the promotion, I lost the job? Like, do we put this, just put a smile on our face and pretend? No, no, no. There can be great angst in our heart, heaviness, even sadness and grief, but there can still be joy. And here's why. We look beyond the circumstances and we can see behind it, there are promises of God that my circumstances might be here today, but they're not going to be here forever. So in light of what is coming, I can have joy today because I'm looking beyond today. I'm looking into the tomorrow and I'm longing with anticipation and gives me joy knowing that that which is beyond this will come. And then he says, it's peace because the results of that assurance, that thing that's beyond the storm, we know it's coming. And so all could be chaotic. All could be unsettled. Everything in my life could be in turmoil and I'm feeling the weight of that. So it doesn't mean that I'm just ignoring the situation. It means that as I'm looking beyond to what is to come, there is joy, but there's also peace because I know that these circumstances in this situation, they don't define me forever. And I can get my heart beyond it and what it does in the presence. Even though the storm is not lifted, there can be peace in the boat. And this is the beauty. And listen, 
The truth is all of us, all of us have these turmoils in our life of, 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 of situations that are out of control. And, and here's one of the indicators. Listen, here's one of the indicators that you can help your heart discover what you're hoping in. So here's, here it is. What is it that brings you joy ultimately? Like what is it that, where is it that you find joy and what is it that gives peace in your life? Because wherever you find your joy and wherever you find your peace, that's an indicator of what you're hoping in. And so when our hope is built on things of this world, our joy and our peace is gonna be like a roller coaster in our life and it's gonna change with the winds. In case you hadn't noticed, 2020 is a little bit difficult. If there's any, any time that we've ever lived that helps us know, at least in, in our generations that are in this room, the uncertainty of circumstances and, 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 and having you know, the ease of life, we know 2020 has been hard and difficult. And so if our hearts are tethered, our peace and joy is found in a life of ease, then man, we'll never have peace and joy in storms like we're in right now. But if we're seeing beyond 2020 and not to a better day, like the vaccine's coming and you know, we get the economy, all those things, it's not, like, it's not like that hope. It's the hope that goes, even if it never comes back, even if we don't get a vaccine, even if God has promised that one day he's gonna make all things new. And so I'm gonna live and weather the storm, but I'm gonna do so with my eyes set on what's coming, not what is here. And that's not easy. That's not easy. It's, it's, it's fought for. So I, I've confessed in, all, in, in, in both services, I'll just tell you as, as well. I, like this, is, this has been a tough year for a lot of people, for our family included. Like and I know for some of you, you're, you're, you're difficulties look different than the difficulties of others. And certainly some of you, you've had greater difficulties than my family has faced. But I'm telling you, this, this year, even the past few weeks for my family has been a challenge. There's just a lot of things that we're facing and dealing with that bring a little uncertainty and like, God, where are you working? And, and just things that we're wrestling with just because of all of the situation of COVID-19 and things. And, and I'm telling you, I even told my wife this week, I said, baby, I'm writing a sermon on hope and I'm fighting for, to, to believe the thing that I'm writing. Is that too honest? That's real. So I'm not, I'm not saying to you, put a game face on. I'm not saying to you, I pretend that you got it all together and inside you're just a wreck. What I'm saying is this, is that, that, that this joy and peace that is found in hoping in the promises of God is available. It doesn't come easy. We got to fight for it. It's not just to, just to, try, to try to claim a verse and, and walk in it. It's, it's battled every day for this, which leads me to the third statement. How do we get there? Look what he says. This is the part that you play and this is the part that I play. True and lasting hope, listen to this, is activated, is activated by faith in God. It's activated by faith in God. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So here, here's the point. Faith and hope are intrinsically and vitally linked to one another. They're, they're connected together. Uh, God's word says that, that the God of hope would give us joy and peace in believing. So what does that mean? It simply means that true and lasting hope is activated by faith in God. Now, why is that the case? Because believing, listen, faith is the substance of hope. That's what it is. Believing or faith, it's the substance of hope. Faith is, is, is what my uh, hope is made of. Another way of saying it is this. Uh, belief in the promises of God activates my hope in God, which produces the joy and the peace of God. So it's not a stagnant thing just to look beyond and say, okay, there's God's promises. At some point, I've got to choose to walk in and lay hold of those promises. That's where the fight is. 
is that I don't just mentally know, okay, God promises these things, but when I'm in the storm, that is where my, my, my hope is activated by me laying hold of those. This is not naming and claiming. Like, I'm gonna pull something out of the scriptures and just, okay, this is a promise from God. No, I'm talking about what has God's word said about Jesus? What has God's word said about what he's done for me? What does God's word say about who I am in him? What does God's word say about the future of everything because of Christ and his uh, sovereignty over the universe? What, what does God's word say about his provision for my life? See, I can look to those things and when all of life seems in chaos and turmoil, I can lay hold of that by faith, believing it, choosing to rest my life in that, not my circumstances. And this is the part we play. Trusting in the promises of God, laying a hold of them. You see, listen, the truth is for all of us in this room, and I know I always want to try to put us on the level playing field here. I never want you to look up on this stage and go, this is a guy that's figured it out. He's just yelling at us, telling us how we should live, and it's not as easy as he's making it out to be. I'm just telling you, I stink at this. Like, I have doubts just like you do. Like doubts creep in, because I mean, you say yes, okay, yeah, just believe, but, but doubts creep in. Anybody have doubts? Let's be honest. Anybody ever have doubts? This year, maybe you've had doubts. Where's God in my life? Where's his, his activity? I'm not sensing direction. I feel like, man, it's just one storm after another. I don't really know what to do. I, I sometimes feel like he's forgotten me. All of those things are, listen, we all feel it. The question is, what do we do with it? You see, what I love about God is God is big enough for our unbelief. And I actually think that one of the greatest ways we can believe is to take our unbelief to the God that we say we believe in. I'll illustrate like this. Jesus was coming off the mountain of transfiguration uh, in great experience. Peter, James, and John there. Moses shows up. It's a pretty, pretty powerful moment. He comes down and the rest of the disciples are down there and they're trying to cast a demon out of a guy and heal a guy who was sick. And as he was doing this, they, were, they, were, they, were, they couldn't do it. And they, Jesus walks up and says, hey boys, what are you doing? And they're like, man, we've seen you do this a thousand times and we don't know that we, we're not saying something right, tapping our heels or something. And Jesus says, hey, get out of the way. He looks at the man, at the boy, he looks at his father and says, do you want your son to be healed? He says, if it is possible. And Jesus says, if it's possible, all things are possible for those who believe. I imagine this man probably shaking He's lost all hope, tears in his eyes, and he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. In other words, this man looks at Jesus, the most honest statement maybe you're gonna find in the Bible. I got a mountain of doubt. I got questions. I got all kinds of fears and anxieties, and I got a mountain of doubt, and I got a little bit of belief. So I'm telling you, I believe. I got a little bit of belief, but I got this mountain of disbelief. Help me believe. Jesus doesn't tell the guy, go get your act together and come back when you can have more faith. Jesus says, bring me your mountain of doubts and your little bit of faith, and I'm going to make a miracle out of it. See, Pastor Matt said this last week, and I think this is so critical. One of the most godly things we can do if we want to move from being distant from God to being intimate with God is to get honest with God about where we are in regards to our disbelief. We don't have to put a front on. 
We can come to him and go, God, I don't know where you're working. I don't see where your hand is. God, you said these promises. I'm not seeing them happen. And I'm just asking God, you strengthen me. And so this is what happens. And that in believing, God begins to work in our life and begins to strengthen our faith. When we get honest about the disbelief, listen, God grows our belief. I think this is critical for all of us. If you look to Jesus and his promises, And even with our doubts and disbelief, praying those promises, all of a sudden faith gets ignited in our heart. And God begins to solidify those promises. And I'll show you what I mean. Here's the fifth statement. True and lasting hope increases, listen to this, through the presence of God. True and lasting hope increases through the presence of God. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Now listen to this. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Listen, our own will, our own power will never be enough to put us in a place of abounding hope. Ever-increasing hope is attained in an ever-increasing nearness to God and intimacy with him through the work of the Holy Spirit. We, we don't create all of this in and of ourselves. Now, notice what Paul is doing here. He, Paul is saying the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in our life is what makes hope abound. So notice this, that God does not just have a little bit of hope for us. He says he can make hope abound, increase in our life. So it's not where it is today. It's gonna increase as we press into this. Now follow the flow of what Paul just says here. Listen to this. Paul is saying that the God of hope fills us with joy and peace as we press into his promises. And as we press into his promises, the Holy Spirit then begins to take those promises and apply them to our heart so that what we know in our mind, we believe and walk in. And what happens is, is that this this hope that we have, we're pressing in, this God of hope, we're pressing into his promises. He's through those promises, we're seeing them and joy and peace is happening. And while we're believing those promises, the Holy Spirit says, okay, now let's, I'm gonna take this and apply that. And what happens is that our foundation of hope begins to expand. And the roots of our faith begin to drive deeper in the promises of God. And the foundation of our life begins to grow and abound in hope. Because what happens is, as we hold on by faith to the promises of God, the Holy Spirit whispers in our ear. You know, when the enemy's lying to us and, and, the, and, the, and the doubts are there, and, it's, and here's the thing, we all have it. See, the, the circumstances of life and the lies of the enemy can become the loudest voices in our mind. And it creates this chaos in our heart. It robs us of our joy. It steals the peace that is ours in him. And we take our eyes off the promises and put it on the problems. And all of a sudden now it captures our attention. And what happens when we press back into the promises by faith, the Holy Spirit begins to tell us, I know you feel like you're forgotten, but Jesus says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I know that your family has rejected you and your friends have abandoned you because you've, 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 you've followed me and you're doing what I'm calling you to do and it's costing you everything. And I know right now you feel like all hope is gone, but I'm telling you, I'm not going anywhere. When you don't know how the ends are gonna get met and you don't know how you're gonna pay the next payment, you look at the promises of God that, guys, I will supply all of your needs according to my riches and glory. 
When you get the diagnosis from the doctor, the enemy says, you see, God doesn't care about you. Man, your life is going to end. You're, you got terminal cancer. You're not going to make it through the season. And you feel like, man, all hope is God. God says, listen, I'm the one who has life and death in my hands. And by the way, the grave will not conquer my people. You will live even if you die. The Holy Spirit of God. And all of a sudden, we abound in hope. Because God awakens our heart to the promises that are ours in Christ. Church, this is what my prayer is for us, that Paul prays, that we may abound in hope. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads if you would. I really wanna make two applications to this and, and give you some action steps. The first is gonna be to those of you who know you're a believer. Those of you who, you, I know I'm a Christian, I don't doubt my, my salvation, I, don't, I, I, I know I'm a Christian. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to wrestle with. In light of this, I want you to ask yourself the question and ask God to help you. What, what are the things in your life that you're placing hope in outside of having your hope in God? What are the things that you're, you're trying to find your joy and peace in, that you're resting your hope in, that continues to trip you over and over again? It, it over-promises, over it under-delivers, it robs you of your joy, robs you of your peace because you don't get it. Or if you do get it, it didn't last as long as you'd hoped. What are the false hopes in your life? And listen, all of us have false hopes in our life. And my challenge is as believers, let's identify those false hopes. Let's repent of those, but let's not just repent of those. Let's then turn to the scriptures. and Okay, how can I replace those little idols in my life that I'm placing my hope in? How can I, I replace those possibilities with promises? How can I transfer my faith from hoping in that thing that won't ultimately deliver? And, and, and what are the promises of God that should redirect my heart and anchor me in my life? You say, how do I identify that? I think it's simple. I think you start looking at what are the things that when you don't get, it robs you of your joy and peace. And what are the things in your life that, man, when, when, when you have that, I mean, I just feel like I'm alive and I feel like I have peace knowing that it's only gonna be short-lived. So what are those things in your life? Begin to confess that and replace that with promises, something far greater than that. That's for believers. For those of you in the room who you know you're an unbeliever, or maybe you have questions about what it means to believe in Jesus, I just wanna make an appeal to you today that it's not an accident that you're here. Because I believe the God of hope wants to offer you hope today by placing your faith and trust in Christ. You see, what we're celebrating this holiday season is that God came to earth and even though we sinned against him and we violated his laws, we deserve his punishment and we don't deserve a relationship with him, that Jesus came to receive the punishment for our sin by the death of the cross in resurrection. He offers you and I who are spiritually dead new life. And I don't think there's anybody in this room that that would be news to today. There's a story you've heard. You know the truth about the gospel, but somewhere along the way, you've never truly placed your hope in them. You've never believed and had your life transformed by them. And maybe today, God has brought you here because he wants to give you hope that is abounding, that's found in Christ and Christ alone. So what do I do? You simply confess your sin. Confess that you're a sinner, that you need a savior. Ask God that he would allow you to trust in Jesus and to be made alive. Believe that Jesus died and resurrected. And just say, God, I want you to come and transform me. I want my hope to be found in you. And you can use your own words. 
But just in your heart, if that's you, I want you right now just to cry out to the Lord and ask him to save you. In a moment, we're gonna have a time of just singing and response. We have some guys and girls up here that are gonna be available for prayer. If you're a believer and you're battling some hope issues this morning, I want you to know you're in the right place. That I don't want you walking in that alone. Come and share that. You don't have to share specifics. You can if you want. Just come and say, I'm struggling and I need somebody to pray for me. Others of you, if you're an unbeliever and you say, I wanna to pray to receive Christ or I just did, then come and let someone know and let us celebrate that with you and let somebody pray with you and, and give you some more information about how you can walk this new life that you've been given in Jesus. I'm gonna pray for you and then I'm done. We're gonna stand and we're gonna sing and give you an opportunity to respond. Father, we love you. We thank you that in Jesus we have hope. And so God, right now, may the God of hope fill us with joy and peace in believing, in believing, and may our hope abound through the work of the Holy Spirit. Help the believer, help the unbeliever. I ask this in the name of Jesus. God's people said.